Well, happy Father's Day. It's good to see everyone here. Some of you have traveled very far. Some of you uh, are enjoying the sweltering summer heat. Anybody a fan of the summer heat? One, okay, awesome. Okay, two, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just what I need. Um, so, <laughs> all right, so we're uh, starting a sermon series. I was going to do just a standalone Father's Day message, and I got to thinking, well, what is it I want to talk about on Father's Day? What would be so important? And I got this idea that came to my head, said it's about legacy. What is it that you hand down? What is it that we do to shape the next generation? And then I thought, man, this book has so much to say about that, I can't just do it in one week. So for the next 62 weeks, we're going to cover, <laughs> you're kidding, next three weeks, we're going to cover what it is to leave a legacy, because ultimately that's what this is all about, is it not? We live very temporary lives in a temporary world, but what we hand down can ring on, can live on through the generations, through our children's children. So what we leave behind is hugely important. Now, I'm not talking about assets like my, my bank account. I'm not talking about the house that I hand down. I'm talking about something that is much more valuable and unfortunately much more scarce today. I'm talking about character. I'm talking about a love for Jesus. I'm talking about something that sets you on that rock that you can never be moved from. That's what we need and that's what the next generations need. That's the legacy that we need to hand down. So how are we gonna do this? Well, we're gonna talk uh, uh, about this thing called legacy, but. Here are the three things that we're going to talk about today. We're talking about the path, then we're talking about the stones, and then right on July 2nd, which is very close to July 4th, you may have heard about that, uh, we're going to talk about freedom. What does it mean? What do we do with it? So I'm super excited for this series. I think it's going to be awesome. I hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed uh, making it up. So here we go. I want to tell you about the time when I first became a father. Now. When you, know, you go through the pregnancy, you go through the classes, it's basically academic knowledge at that point because you have zero experience, right? It's just head knowledge. There's no actual action. There's no experiential knowledge. You just know it up here. And I had it down. I got it all, no problem. And then we had this beautiful baby girl. I was like, well, okay, that's cool. And they're with the doctors and the nurses and everything. And they take care of you. Know, they take the baby away, and you know they, they, it always comes back in this nice, tight little bundle. You know, kind of, kind of like this. And it's just so cute. Yeah, you know, it's like awesome. Oh, oh, she's crying. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> and they take it away, and it's it's nice. And then comes the day, and you know this day if you've been there. It's time to go home. And it, it hit me at that moment. It was like, holy cow, I'm a dad. Like for real, dad. Like 24/7 dad. Like, where's the instruction manual for this kid? I don't, and, and the nurse, I remember, she, she handed her to me that morning as we were getting ready to go, and she said, now you got your car seat in the car, right? Yeah, yeah. You're going to pull it up, and, and then we're going to wheel your wife down, and you're, you're going to put the baby in there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, the baby needs a diaper change, so why don't you take care of that, and I'll be right back. I was like, okay. So, <clears throat> at the time... I was an Air Force instructor pilot. There's nothing I can't handle. I got this. So we, we go to the diaper thing, and very proudly, I get that thing wrapped up so tight, she, you know, nothing's getting out of that diaper. And the nurse comes back in and looks at me, and looks at the baby, and she goes, the diaper's on backwards. <laughs> and at that moment, I thought, she is doomed. She is never going to be a normal child. I'm, gonna, I'm her dad, and I can't even put a diaper on right. Are you kidding me? And that was the moment I realized... I have no idea what I'm doing. 
I've never been a dad before. I'm the youngest in my family. There were no babies below me. Uh, and I was a little boy, so uh, I didn't do, and I'm not, this is not sexist, this is the way it was. Little boys did not do babysitting, so I had no experience in babies. And now I had one. Oh my gosh. This is what I felt like. I, I, I'm staring like a, that thousand yard stare, I have no idea what to do next. I, I have no idea where I'm going. I have no idea how to be a father, other than the fact that my dad was a good dad, but he raised boys. This was a little girl. I don't know anything about little girls. Unfortunately, my wife was one, but I mean, that's, that was the extent of my experience. I had no idea where I was going with this. And why do I mention this? Because on Father's Day, we never really know where we're going, but we sure act like it, don't we? I mean, sometimes you got it, sometimes it's pretty clear, but let's face it, dads, as you're trying to, to be a dad, as you're trying to lead a family or whatever it is that you're doing, there are moments when you experience this thousand yard stare and, and if you don't agree with me, let's talk about honesty. <laughs> because there are times you just don't know what to do next. And that's not just for fathers, by the way. That's for moms. That's for kids. That's for everybody. At times in this life, we get up against this thing that we've never seen before. What do we do? That's what I want to talk about today because it, it's a great setting for us to dive into the book of Joshua. And I want to set the stage here. Uh, we're going to talk from Joshua chapter 3, if you want to follow along in your text. But let me set the stage a little bit. You have to understand exactly what the Israelites are experiencing at this moment. They're coming, up, they're coming up to the Jordan River, about to cross the Jordan River. Now, imagine what that must have been like. You have to understand that Moses has been the leader for an entire generation. That's like if you grew up at WordServe and you only knew me as the leader... And now there's someone new. And, and oh, by the way, there's someone new right at the moment you're about to cross into enemy territory and engage in battle, for real battle. Do you trust this person? Does this person know what they're doing? Or has he got the thousand-yard stare going on that we talked about? So the Israelites have been wandering for an entire generation, for 40 years. Can you imagine? I mean, I can hear the women right now, just ask for directions. No. <laughs> it would have been so much easier, right? 40 years, they've been wandering. They come up to this point. Now, understand, this is the point of no return. If you've ever wondered about the military strategy behind crossing the Jordan and conquering Jericho, I did a sermon series about, I don't know, a bazillion years ago on the military strategy. This is the point of no return. Once you cross that river, there's no going back. This is your most vulnerable point. So if you're not all in, this is the time to get out. If you're not fully committed, do not cross this river because there is no going back. This is do or die time. We either do this or we are no more a people. That's how serious this is. And so this is the, the point where we are. We, we've reached the side of the Jordan River, by the way, in flood stage. And they're getting ready to cross. So in Joshua chapter 3, we pick up the text. <clears throat> this, is, this is go time right here. We're going to read from 3 verses 1 through 5. It says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, 
Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Let's back up for just a second, because I, I, I want to pick apart everything that's going on. There's so much in this text, man, and we could be here all day, but let's just pick out a few things. He, he goes through the camp before crossing, uh, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant. So the, the, the first thing that, that immediately pops to mind is, you got to be looking for it. you got to be looking for the movement of God. In this case, it was the Ark of the Covenant. That was the presence of God. And wherever he goes, that's where you go. And, and so this is a very important concept that we don't just observe what God is doing. We don't watch for God as though we're looking at a movie or a show or uh, something on YouTube. We look at God as though we're about to participate in whatever that is. There's a huge difference in that kind of observation. I don't know if you know this, but faith in Christ is not a spectator sport. You got to participate. This, this army of God that we talk about, this, these mass movements that happen, happen through people. Could God do it by himself? Absolutely, he could. But he chooses not to. He chooses to work through us. I have no idea why he does that. If I were God, I'd just want to get it done. And it would be done right, right? That old saying, if you want it done right, got to do it yourself. God doesn't work that way. God invites flawed human beings to participate in this plan. So as we watch, we have to watch as though we're about to participate in whatever is going on. I love the language here. <clears throat> you are, once you see the ark, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Is that good military terminology? Make ready, move out, right? So we get these little foxholes that we live in. We kind of hunker down and keep ourselves safe from the world. And they get pretty comfortable, right? Nobody's bothering me. I'm just by myself. I got my own thing going on. Oh, hey, there goes God. He's doing something awesome. Go, God. Oh, you want me to get up out of this? <laughs> you want me to follow you? But it's so comfortable here. Yeah, uh, this getting up and moving out is not comfortable. This, this getting up and move out will stretch you out of your comfort zone, guaranteed. But let me tell you this, there is no growth inside the comfort zone. Where does all the growth happen? Outside your comfort zone. Uh, those of you who are fathers and, and have kids, uh, you know this about children. They tend to grow, <laughs> like sometimes a new change of clothes every season type of grow, right? What do they call it when we grow? Growing pains, right? It's painful to grow. It's not comfortable to grow. But the alternative is to remain a baby the rest of my life. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to the end of my life and say, oh, he was a great infant in Christ. That is no one's goal, said no one ever, right? Uh, yeah, my goal is to be a baby in Christ eternally. No, no, that's not what gets things done. That's not what gets you to what God has for us. And when I say us, I don't mean me and you. I mean us as a people of God. So this get up and move out is not comfortable, but we've got to do it if we're going to grow and if we're going to have God's kingdom come to fruition. And by the way, this might sound, you know, he's talking about being uncomfortable and stretching and pain. Let me give you the flip side of that. This is an adventure. I mean, you want some excitement in your life? You don't have to drink Mountain Dew. You don't have to go mountain biking. You say, I'm going to follow Jesus and watch what happens. Tell me if that doesn't get your heart rate up. If you're actually following him, man, that is exciting. This is an adventure, and I'm inviting you today, as is Jesus. So going on with the text here, 
Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. Dads, here's the answer that you've been seeking. I don't know what to do. Bang, there it is. Then you will know which way to go, since you've never been this way before. What's he talking about? Watching for the presence of God to go by and following it. You want to be a good father? Watch God and follow. You want to lead a family? Watch God and follow. You want to be someone who contributes to this world and makes a difference? Watch God and then follow. That's what he's talking about. Now, here's the irony. I don't know if you catch this in the text. This is talking to the people of Israel. Then you will know which way to go since you've never been this way before. Now, granted, this generation had never been this way before. They'd never gotten this far. They're right up to the border of the promised land. But here's what I think is the underlying spiritual message here. Then you will know which way to go because you've not been here before. What just happened before this? The presence of God went by and they followed it. They've never been here before because they were too stiff-necked and stubborn to watch the presence of God and follow. They wanted to tell God what to do. They wanted their, their conditions met, which is why they wandered for 40 years. So they've never been here before in a position where they're going, you know, wherever he goes, I'm going. And it may not look good. It may not look comfortable. It may stretch you, but we're going to do it. Like I said, this is it. This is all in or die. Once you cross that river, there is no coming back. So dads, moms, kids, once you decide to follow Jesus, and I mean follow, not observe, there's no coming back. That's not bad news, because where do we ultimately go? <laughs> I was going to somebody say death? <laughs> well, yeah, that's the gateway to what we call eternal life, right? But yeah, that's where this ends up, and the journey along the way is super exciting, full of opportunities. How do I know this? Keep reading. Keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits. Anybody got a tape measure in cubits? I don't know exactly what that is, but I get the idea it's a distance. Like, don't, don't get up on it, right? And, and here's, the, again, I'm always thinking the spiritual undertones of this. You got to keep some distance from God. In other words, there's a, there's a phrase for that in biblical terms. It's called holy. You keep set apart from God. So I think there's two major flaws that we make today, uh, and this isn't just dads, this is, this is anybody. Sometimes God's a little too comfortable, or we're, let me back that up, we're a little too comfortable with God. He's my buddy. He's my friend. He's my pal. I come from a different background. I think you know this. I can't imagine my squadron commander coming to me and go, Bill, we're flying a mission tomorrow. I need you here at 6 o'clock. Oh, dude, like, I got some family plans and my, I can't make it, you know. Uh, he's not my friend. He's my commander, and I will be there tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Bell's on, ready to go. See, I think we've forgotten in our familiarity with God that he's still God. He's still sovereign. He, he's, he is friendly, but he's not my friend. He's my commander. And th that's what they're, they're telling the people of Israel, like this... This is not optional. You're in. You're all in. And until you're all in, you don't get to that promised land. So the first thing in keeping that distance is to set ourselves apart so that we don't get so familiar with God that we forget who he is. But here's the other thing and the other mistake I think that we made is, uh, make especially here 
We don't set apart God. We set aside God. God is one of my priorities. God is not the number one priority. I just tend to set him aside. I pull him out on Sunday morning because it's time for God. That's in my calendar. Uh, the other time that I pull him out is when I'm in big, big trouble. In case of emergency, break glass, God, perfect. He's there whenever I need him. And that's true. He is there whenever we need him. But is the opposite true? Am I there whenever he needs me? That's what it is to be all in. So don't set aside, set apart. God's not my friend, although he's friendly. He's my commander. I'm not just talking to dads right now. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Now, there's a word we don't use enough. Are you consecrated? Did you consecrate today? That we just don't say that anymore. So it doesn't really have as much meaning in our lingo. But basically, it's to uh, cleanse is the, the root of the word. In this specific scenario, what they're doing, they're talking about they got out and they washed their clothes. And they, were, uh, they abstained from relations. So this is what it is to, to consecrate. It's to... It's, it's not just about a matter of cleanliness per se. It's about taking your mind off earthly things and pointing them solely towards God. Now, why is that important? Well, if you're about ready to cross the point of no return, you better be focused. And you better not be focused on the earthly things. You better be focused on the commander. If not, there are grave consequences for you and for your family and for your community and for your nation it's never just about us. So consecrate yourselves. What does that look like today? Well, I, I think it's mostly a matter of getting our minds into this, the, uh, the, the focus, the things above. Are you, are you praying on a regular basis? I, am I actually contemplating scripture? Am I reading this book? Am I a part of a group or groups that help me understand not just what this is, but how to live this? That's consecrating ourselves. And maybe we have different words for it today, but I'm going to ask you throughout this series, uh, how's your consecration going? Because <laughs> I just think we need to use that word more. And then here's my favorite. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. What confidence does Joshua have to say that? Can you imagine being the new guy? Yeah, I'm the new guy here. Oh, by the way, we're going to do amazing. Th we're going to walk across the Jordan River. It's going to dry up. <laughs> God's going to do amazing things. I'll see you tomorrow. Now, I wouldn't have that confidence, which is probably why I wasn't in charge. Thank God, we'd still be wandering. But Joshua had that connection. And go back and look at the life of Joshua before this, and you'll see exactly how he got there. Years, decades of dedication and purposeful growth to be the leader that he became. That's a whole other sermon. But this is an opportunity for us to, to recognize that if we are in shape to go, in other words, we're watching, when it passes, we follow, and we make room for God to work through us, we will see amazing things that God will do through us. The other part of my Christian walk that I don't ever want to be true at the end of my days is to say, yeah, he was a, a baby of God who lived a very ordinary faith life. I don't want to live an ordinary life, do you? If you do, you should probably join a church whose tagline says something other than life is different. I don't want to get to the end of my days and go, wow, God is capable of doing amazing things, but I never saw that. I just kind of lived day to day and got through my thing. and It was very ordinary. 
How inspiring is that? Who wants to sign up for that? And you wonder why people aren't more interested in Jesus and what he can do. You wonder why people aren't more interested in being a part of this. It's because they're not seeing anything amazing. And the question comes to why? Are we not willing to follow? Are we not consecrated? Are we not making a way for God to work through us so that the world can see amazing things? Whose fault is that? God? Mine? Ours? I'm not pointing any fingers without pointing some back. But I'm here to say that maybe it's time that we took this seriously. Maybe it's time that as we approach this point of no return, that we, we take this seriously. So what do we do with this? Well, first of all, we watch. And we watch like participants, not like observers. Now, here's what I mean. I told you earlier, this is going to change your life. It's a carabiner. Uh, dads, if you got, you got here late, these are Father's Day gifts. They're available on the back table. Uh, if you don't get one because we have too many dads, we will get you one because this will change your life, I guarantee. So what am I talking about? This carabiner, now obviously this is a small carabiner, but if it were a full-sized one and I was to explain how carabiners work and you are learning how carabiners work as an observer, you have no intention of going and climbing, you're not going to go out and use one of these. You just wanted some head knowledge. Oh, nice. Uh, that's, that's lovely. Or I could say, uh, as soon as you step out this door, you're going to climb 35 feet in the air, and we're going to snap you into a carabiner. And should you fall from that obstacle, it's the only thing that's going to save your life. Would you pay attention differently? Would you learn differently? I think you would. How do I know this? Well, it's Father's Day. So here's a picture of me and my daughter. Uh, on the left there, we are standing on a beam that is suspended 35 feet in the air. We are on a, what they call a self-belay system, which means there's no one that's going to hold me up if I fall. The only thing that is holding us up is that we're wearing a harness with a rope, and you can barely see behind my head there's a line above me. And guess what I'm clipped into? A carabiner. If I fall off of that thing, I better have that on right or I die. Now, would you pay attention to that? <laughs> yes, you would. So when I was in seminary, um, there was a, a ropes challenge course, and my daughter and I uh, worked together for a summer. It was so cool, because we're uh, getting to go out, and this was my happy place. I was up in the trees. It looked like an Ewok village. It was amazing. There was all these different things that you could go through, and you can see my daughter is, is walking on a steel wire uh, with pieces of rope. You have to let go of one piece of rope to get to the other one. And the only thing that's keeping her up is what? This. And this was the cool part. When people came out to that ropes course and it was time to explain how these things worked, man, you never had so rapt attention in your life. It felt good as a teacher because a lot of times, you know, people check out on you. They're like, oh, whatever. He's just talking. No, they're like, no, do that again. What was it now? What, what, I got questions. What? They were very interested in what you were saying. And for a good reason, because that's what saved your life. So what does this translate to in the spiritual realm? Well, don't just read this as an observation. Oh, God did things great in the past. Uh, oh, God's going to do something. Oh, look at those people over there. They're doing something, and, and God's working in that. Isn't that wonderful? No, read this as though you intend to apply this. Read this as though you, your life depended on it. Read this as though we're getting ready to move out and do something that God is going to work through, and it's going to be amazing. 
Read it to apply it. That's the bottom line of all this. Now, specifically speaking to men for just a second, sometimes, I'm not saying about word serve necessarily, but sometimes we go, yeah, I got this. I'm a man. I can do whatever. I, I'm good. No, you're not. There are things in this world that are bigger than us, guaranteed. There are things that require God-sized miracles. And if we're not willing to follow him and get up out of our foxholes, then we're in big trouble. And that has ramifications for us as individuals. It has ramifications, as I said, for the people around us, for the community, for the nation. And this nation needs people who are following God. And you can disagree with me if you want, but turn on the news and tell me that's not true. So we watch men specifically. If you are looking for a place to grow as a man in Christ, as a leader, I've got a deal for you. Monday nights, 645, my place. No kidding. We have a men's group. It's an awesome men's group. How many people here are a part of that? Right here, ask these guys what it's like. And if you want to be a part of that, let me know. We would love to have more guys. If that time is not good for you, I will make another time because this is this important to me that we learn how to be men who follow Christ. It's that important. There are other things that you can do. Uh, there's a great thing called F3. Anybody heard of F3? Yeah, there's two of my brothers right there. We are brothers in the gloom. We get up and we, well, these guys sometimes do double downs. What time does that start? 445. Go running at 515. There's a workout. It, uh, not PM. <laughs> Anti-PM. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, it's a workout. It's outdoors. It's for real. It's like you carry cinder blocks around. You do body weight exercises. If you want to be a part of that, let me know. You'll get a cool call sign. And uh, it's not for the faint-hearted, I'm going to tell you right now. But if you want to get in shape and get ready for that, let me know. I would love to hook you up with that. My point is, let's do something, men, to get out of our comfort zone, spiritually, physically. To get up and follow it, because that foxhole is so comfortable. But the movement of God, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the wake that we leave behind. The movement of God is pretty easy to see because the wake that God leaves behind is one of restoration and peace and forgiveness and unity. And if you see anything else, then that's not God. Watch for the wake of grace and follow. That's as easy as I can make it. Now, that sounds super easy to hear. It's super hard to do. I guarantee it. But that's the bottom line. Be ready to, to go when is go time. This is a great saying. If you're wondering, am I enough for this? Uh, let me answer that for you. No, we are not enough. But here's the thing. It is not great men who change the world, but weak men in the hands of a great God. That's all we got to know. You want to be a great dad? Serve a great God. And as I look at the life of WordServe and where we've been, man, we have been through some changes, have we not? We've bounced back and forth between different places. We've bounced back and forth between leaders. I don't know if I'm Joshua or Joshua 3.0. I don't know who I am, but I'm, I'm you know, in the line of succession of leaders. I don't want to wander anymore. 
Is it just me or does it feel like, yeah, we've just kind of been here at this crossing of the river. I know there's something great on the other side, but I'm not really sure what to do. So, or I don't know if I want to commit that much. Word serve, it's time to cross the river. <laughs> that just hit me. I'm not talking about, you know, dying. <laughs> I'm talking about it's time to commit. It's time that we get to the point where we need to make a difference in this community. We need to make a difference in this world. We are at the edge of a river trying to decide, am I all in or not? Because once I cross this river, once I go there, there's no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. This is not new to us. We join a history, a rich history of people who have had to make this same decision. But I'm telling you, that's the way that we're going to see a difference in this world. We can't just think about it. We can't just talk about it. We've got to watch for it. We've got to consecrate ourselves. We've got to follow it. If we do that, then we get to this. We see amazing things that God will do. He said, well, oh, man, it sounds like it's going to make me uncomfortable. I guarantee it's going to make you uncomfortable. But that's the cost of amazing. It sounds like it's going to really stretch me and maybe put me in places that I, I can't do what I think I should. I guarantee it will. But that's the cost of amazing. Let me tell you the cost of ordinary. Keep doing what we've been doing and hope God does something through someone else. As for me, I'm not going to be a baby Christian. I'm not going to settle for ordinary when it comes to my walk with God. And I'm not boasting in me. I'm boasting in him. Because if we will watch, if we will prepare to follow, if we will concentrate and we'll actually get up and move, then we will see amazing things. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for being a God who does amazing things. I don't understand why you include us in these adventures, but I sure am glad that you do. And it would be one thing to observe you and say how wonderful you are, which is true. But God, you call us up out of ordinariness. And God, I pray as we contemplate this journey that you would help us to understand that the main mission here is not our strength, our intelligence. It's nothing more than watching for the movement that you create in this world. God, give us eyes to see that. But more importantly, give us courage to follow that because it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to stretch us. But God, it's going to grow us as well. As we look across this river, this point of no return where we commit and we say, yes, we are all in. Help us to follow through in that. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you so that all the barriers, the obstacles, the excuses, everything melts away in the presence of your glory. And God, embolden us. Help us to live fully for you and help us to experience amazing things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.